you know, I my back has been killing me yesterday, and I couldn't and I couldn't figure out why my back's hurting, besides the fact that I'm old. Uh, but I, I got it. I figured it out. Uh, my dog is like near death this week, and we've taken her to the vet. You know, spent a couple hundred bucks there, which. This this has been an expensive dog. This dog's been run over by a two-ton piece of farm equipment. She's like a robo-dog. She's got a steel plate with seven screws in her hip. Okay, so she's a crazy dog. Uh, we we were putting concrete in the backyard one time, and you and you make sure it's level by this little yellow piece of twine. You run along to make sure it's like the right size. She gets on it, she goes, and just eats the whole thing. And next thing you know, she's pooping twines, cotton her intestines. It's just, dog's always costing me money. Eats gopher bait. Anyway. So, so she's really sick, and I took her to the vet last week, and we thought she was going to die. And she's lost 20 pounds, so she's about 90 pounds now after losing 20 pounds. And she, you know, take her to the bathroom. I, I got to carry her around all week to get her, you know, into the grass and over. And so I'm always carrying her around now. And I'm like, why does my back hurt? And then I'm like, duh, I'm picking up that monster all week. So, huh? It is. It. These are these are my 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 guns are right here. Because she's always she's always in a weird position, so you got to get down. And then she growls at you, but she can't get you, you know, because she's almost dead. You know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, if you need sermon notes, there are sermon notes on the communion tables in the back. You can you can grab those if you want them. Uh, people say I talk really fast, so we start doing sermon notes. You're very welcome for that. Uh, we have a group of ladies who have gone to Thailand uh, this week. Uh, they'll be gone for two weeks. We, we work with a group in Thailand called the Tamar Center. And what the Tamar Center does is they go out and try and get uh, women out of prostitution in Thailand. Uh, a lot of women, actually, their families will send them into prostitution so that they can send money home so their parents can get TV. And it's, it's really sad. So what Tamar Center does, it goes into bars, it finds the girls in the bars that are prostitutes, they bring them in, they teach them skills so they can actually have something else to do besides prostitution. They have places for them to stay so that as they work and learn these skills, that they have a place to stay as they move out of it. So we have a group of somebodies that just went last week, and they'll be gone for two weeks. So if you remember this week in, in your prayer time, pray for them in their ministry as they're there. Um, I got a I got a question, and this is very personal to you guys that come to this service. Uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, the last time we did an Easter Sunday on a Sunday night, like eight people showed up. So my question for you is, uh, what if we didn't do a Sunday night Easter service? If we're going to try and do an early one uh, on Sunday morning, but we're going to do like three on Sunday morning, uh, would you guys would you guys still want to do an Easter service at night? It's a if you want to still do one, raise your hand. <laughs> I don't even know when the sun rises. <laughs> yeah, it's usually bright when by the time I actually wake up. <laughs> I would gnaw off my arm for an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> I really would. So would it would it be cool? I mean, do you, or do you guys do you guys really want to have an Easter? Because a lot of times Easter is a day for family. A lot, and so a lot of times people, even if they plan to go to evening service, they, they spend most of their day with their family anyway, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to miss it, and so we usually have a very low turnout for it. And honestly, on Easter, I think Easter is a day to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, and you guys should be spending that with your loved ones who are very close to you if you can do that anyway. So, we we cool with that? Okay, we'll have no service on Easter Sunday, on Sunday night. But we'll have no Sunday night service. But we'll have three in the morning. So we're actually, if, if you're interested, we're going to actually do an 8.15, I think, on Sunday morning that morning. Uh, it's going to be a little shorter than our others. I'm gonna, yeah, I know. Tell me. It's as close as I'm going to get. 
we're going we're gonna to put Sean, probably give him an acoustic guitar, and he'll do a couple acoustic songs. I'll do the same message I'm doing for the other services, but it'll be earlier, uh, little, probably a little smaller, and hopefully that'll be cool. All right. Uh, just to let you know, our softball, if you come to Element because of our softball team's reputation, uh, Monday night our co-ed teams have let you down because we both lost, but our men's team on Friday night won 13-8. Daniel's on the team. Yeah. You know what's so funny? I go, our co-ed teams lost this week, and someone in first service was like, woo! And I'm like, what? Seriously? Seriously. All right, why don't you stand on the free into God's word? It's only like 5.45. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, I ask that tonight we'd be a people who understand that we are not caught under law, but we are underneath the grace and the goodness of you. And that our lives would then begin to live out this grace and this goodness that you bestow in us as your people. Help us to live and walk as you call us to live and walk. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, we are going through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4 this week. If you need a Bible or forgot one or don't have one at all, there's one in the back you can grab. It's next to the communion table on right in front of Mikey back there if you need a Bible. Uh, we will typically at Element go through books of the Bible. Occasionally we will do topics. Uh, currently, as I said, we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Um, Tonight is going to be a little bit different than you're probably used to at Element. We're going to, I'm going to be, it's going to be very practical. Uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of reflection. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. It's not going to, I don't have a lot of jokes tonight. And so, in the end of it, you may be like, wow, this is pretty heavy. But sometimes it kind of needs to be. So that's where we're going to go with this. Uh, so far, this is what Ephesians has looked at. Uh, we've seen that there is who God is. And then we've seen what God's intention is for human history. We see that our problem as human beings come down to a word that Scripture uses called sin. This is failing to follow God, rebelling, doing the opposite of what God calls us to do, ignoring Him in the way, in the way that we live our lives as if we are our own gods and not God. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from each other. The problems in our lives and in our world result from this issue of sin. But our great God and Savior Jesus comes to earth. He lives without sin. He rises to conquer sin and death. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians over 30 times that we are to be in Christ. Because in Christ, our sins can be removed. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done. That is God's grace to us. Him removing our sin and Him saving us. Now we can be in a relationship with God and other people again. And when we have this relationship with God, we can do Ephesians 2.10, which says we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 4 says we have a calling in us to do Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 5 says we do this by imitating God. So, we have this calling, we have been redeemed, we've been forgiven. But the question is, why don't we experience this now? Why don't we experience this good, fruitful living where we're not struggling with the sins that we always seem to struggle with? This whole life that God calls us to. Again, the answer comes down to sin. Uh, I tell you, if, if all of us you know, got an A in effort in school for sin, we would all get an A in effort in school for sin. Because we may not be good at it, but we always try to be good at it. We've got a lot of effort in, in how we do this thing. The remedy to our sin problem is Jesus. So today we're going to look at addressing the issue of sin. And some of the things I say today are going to really sound like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, get it straightened out, blah. It, I believe it is all the grace of God. But Dallas Willard says that grace does not negate effort on our part. 
And many times we need to be a people who actually are like, okay, I am going to go and work in the strength that God gives me to do what He calls me to do. And tonight, you're going to get a little bit of that. So this is Ephesians 4.17. I'm going to substitute our city uh, for the cities in here so it makes a little more sense to you. Ephesians 4.17 goes like this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Santa Marians do. In the futility of their thinking, those Californians are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, those central coasters have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. Verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, Paul uses a great metaphor here. He talks about taking off and putting on. This is like clothes. You go to take a shower. You take off your clothes, hopefully, unless you're really weird. And then you get done with your shower, and you dry off, and you put some more clothes back on. We all get dressed in the morning figuratively with the identity that we will have for the coming day. My stepdad, uh, he gets up, and, and he puts on work boots and wranglers and a work shirt, and he goes to work at the farm. Uh, my friend Nicole manages Jamba Juice. She puts on her little Jamba Juice visor thing and her little Jamba Juice shirt, and he goes, she goes to work at Jamba Juice. Uh, if I'm lucky, sometimes I remember to dress myself at all. <laughs> but sometimes if I go do a wedding or a funeral, I wear a suit. It gives the impression that I know what I'm actually doing. Uh, some kids, you know, you go to school and you have a dress code now. And so, you know, this is the identity that you have. What Paul says is if we're going to clothe ourselves with Christ, we must get undressed from our sin. Because many of us have all these sins in our lives and we just try to clothe ourselves with Christ over our sin without ever taking off our sin. In a very vulgar way, it's like this. It's like you pooped your pants and you change all of your clothes except for your underwear, which is the dirtiest part of all. You need to change your underwear, right? Thank you. Thank you. You must take off the old way of thinking and put on the new way. Paul goes very practical. Anytime you struggle in sin in your life, you should go to Scripture. So today, we cannot deal with all of our sins because we have so many. We just couldn't actually get to all of them. But what I want you to do is I want you to pick one. One sin. You know, right now that you wish you could get rid of that is separating you from God or people. What is one thing that you wish you could just get out of your life period. That first thing that comes to your mind. And don't change your mind when it comes into it. You've got to take that first one because it's usually the worst. So you stick with that one and go with it. You're like, oh, maybe not. I'll pick something else. No, pick that one. The first one you came up with. That's a good one. And as we go through Ephesians today, I want you to apply what we talk about to that issue. To that issue. Uh, it could be drunkenness. It could be perversion. Maybe you're a drunken pervert. Okay? Maybe it's, it's pride. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you're lazy. Take your sin and name it. Not out loud because everybody would be like, oh my goodness, you're crazy. But not out loud, but we're going to deal with it. Because Ephesians is very practical. And I'm going to ask you 10 questions out of verses 17 to 19, which says this. So I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, Santamarians, do. In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you some questions about that sin that maybe you got in your head right now and then ask these questions and see how we go with this. Question number one. 
You ready? Okay, good. I'm good. How is your thinking about this issue silly, dumb, or wrong? How is your thinking about that silly, dumb, or wrong? The Bible draws a correlation between the way you think and the way that you live your life. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How you think is going to shape many times what you do. Many people try to shape what they do. Oh, if I don't do this and don't do that, but they never change how they think. We need to be a people who read Scripture and think God's thoughts after Him. That's what Christians are supposed to long for. We need our minds renewed so we see who God is and how God operates and what God does. Otherwise, we begin to legitimize the sin that we have in our life. We become people who do things that are wrong and try and give good reasons why we did it. We become our own defense attorneys. You know what? You say, why did you gossip about your husband? You know, we say, oh, you don't say, oh, I shouldn't have. We say, because he's a jerk. You know, you say, you know, why are you flirting with a woman that you're not married to? You know, and we say, uh, instead of saying it's wrong, I shouldn't do it. We say things like, well, my wife is cold and hard, doesn't give me what I need. And we say things like, why do you spend money on things you don't really need? And you don't say, well, maybe I shouldn't. We say, I need 537 channels because there's nothing on TV to watch. I've got to spend my money on something, so it may as well just be that. I mean, don't get me wrong. You need Fox because you've got to be watching you know, 24 and French. You know, but other than that, I don't know what you've what you got to watch. We, we have a way of justifying what we do. Deep down inside, it comes down to wrong thinking. And you know and I know that some of the things that we do are wrong. And yet we simply inside want to deceive ourselves. I believe that uh, probably today, I think O.J. thinks he's actually innocent. I really do. Uh, I, I think that Satan also is the same way. I think he actually believes he is a truth teller and that God is a liar. And that is bad company to be in. Question number two. In what ways is your understanding about your sin growing darker? This means how is it getting worse? Where you start off you know, thinking wrong about something and it just builds momentum. And eventually, you no longer have to convince yourself that it's not a sin, but you actually start to think it's a virtue. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I, I had a conversation with a guy in my office a couple of years ago. It's nobody in this room. You don't know who they are. I have permission to talk about it, so don't be offended. So I'm talking to this guy in my office, uh, and he's married, and he has a girlfriend on the side. And he thinks it's okay because it saves his marriage by getting what he needs on the side. Now, I mean... Again, you go down that road long enough, you're going to think you're Jesus. Like everything you do is, is just right. This is all backwards. It's, it's not a virtue to stay with your wife via adultery. You're supposed to stick close to Jesus first, and then you will learn how to love your spouse. People who are, who are in deep sin never, ever thought they would get there. If you ask them, they'd probably be like, I mean, seriously, I never thought I would be where I am today. And it just gets darker and darker until you find yourself thinking that garbage is great and what is pure stinks. In the, in the Gospel of John, John calls this darkness and that God is light and God exposes the darkness. And you can either repent in that light or you can scurry into the darkness like rats. Question number three, have you tried to separate this sin from God? Some people try to you know, sin in private. God's never going to see it. If I do it in private, he'll, he'll never see it. Some people won't read certain parts of the scriptures because they don't like what it says. This is like Adam in the garden. They sin against God and Adam goes and he hides behind a tree. You know, that the omniscient God of the universe made, thinking God's not going to see him hiding behind a pulpit, you know, behind a tree. It's, it's dumb. It is futile thinking. Romans chapter 1, Paul calls this suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth. And the more we run to our sin rather than our God, the more separated we become from our God. And sin is doing its job. It is separating you. Question number four. 
In what ways have you made, have you made yourself more ignorant about the consequences of your sin? Where you say things like, it's not really hurting anyone. You know, Paul says that we are people who reap what we sow. Our lives have consequences for our actions. I I talk to people all the time who find themselves in dire circumstances because of their own sin, and they always act shocked. You know, I I, I talk to guys all the time. My girlfriend's pregnant, and they're all shocked. And I'm like, why are you shocked? Did something happen that you weren't involved in? You know, it's not like you're walking down the, the street and on the sidewalk and hit a bump and your clothes flew off and you fell on top of her. It's like defective concrete. You're going to sue the concrete maker. No, you're not a victim. I mean, the, the scripture calls us lawbreakers. We are sinners. We don't need to sue. We need to repent. That's what we need to do. If, if you don't show up to work and you get fired, should you be surprised? No. You go to the buffet every day and you get bigger. Should you be surprised? No, you shouldn't be surprised. Life's such a mystery. Oh, my goodness. Question number five. Are we hitting home yet? We just, okay. Question number five. Is your heart hard and growing harder about this sin? This is where the first time you do something and you know it's wrong, you just feel awful and terrible about it. And the second time you feel terrible and you're repenting, the third time, you get to about the hundredth time and you're like, oh, maybe I'm just this way and I can't really get over it. Romans 1.32, it talks about those who are hardened so that not only do they do their sin, but they actually encourage others to do the same thing that they are. They're evangelists of sin. At first they thought it was a sin, now it's their life mission. And when you question these people about it, they get mad at you for asking them about it. We cannot be people who think that we can harden our heart in one aspect of our life and it will not affect every other aspect as well. Paul tells you that we come to God humbly. We never come to God arrogantly. Question number six, how are you becoming more insensitive towards God and others because of your sin? These are all the things that I believe Paul talks about in those three verses. Okay? Martin Luther says this, that, that sin is a bending back toward ourselves. If you have a plant in a, in a house and you have like a window over here and it's the only window in the room, typically plants will start to grow towards the sunlight, towards the window. Our sin causes us to grow back in upon ourselves. When uh, I was 18 years old, uh, I had impacted teeth, my, my wisdom teeth. They grew up and they grew over and they were growing back down into my mouth. You know how they had to get rid of that? Cut them out. Not com- they had my, I got a very small mouth. Ready? It's as big as it goes. Okay? I can make some very bad jokes right now, but I won't. Okay? All right? That's as big as it goes. They had to unhinge my jaw to cut these things out. It was very painful very painful because it's growing back upon itself and that is what sin does sin wants us to kill ourselves sin will feast on you till you destroy yourself god wants our hearts and our minds set upon him so he can put us on a path that we need to be on but we become a people who reject what god says we want to argue with god and god commands something and we want to command something different god desires this we desire something else and we want what we want and that's all that we want And that affects family and friends and children and your entire life when your life becomes all about you. Question number seven. You're like, dang, that's right. Question number seven. How are you giving your life over to this as if you were powerless to it? Paul, his words here when he talks about this actually deal with what's called sensuality. It seems sexual sins are in particular here when he talks about this. Scripture tells you, you are not a glorified animal. We are not victims of our urges. We are lawbreakers. We are criminals. Victims always want to blame somebody else. But those who are truly criminals and they realize they're criminals know they need mercy. 
The sins that we commit are our responsibility. And yet Jesus comes to redeem us and take away our sin. But if we don't give it to him, we yield to the sin as our God. You are not powerless. You are not a victim. You are a criminal. And you need to run towards God. And some people hate this because they like to blame everyone else. Oh, you know, it's, it's not my fault. It's my mom. It's my, it's my father. It's my boyfriend in fifth grade. It's a bad chili I ate. It's that time of the month. It's my biology. It's capitalism. It's, it's the environment. I'll tell you, look, maybe your mom or your dad were terrible people. Uh, maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend in the fifth grade really did a number on you. I, I, I don't know, you know, but I'll tell you this. There's only one variable that has been constant in your whole life. And you know who that is? You. You. You are the only variable that has been there every step of the way. And this, if you embrace this, it actually can give you a little bit of dignity because it's not fatalistic. It's telling you, you are not chained to fate. You are an image bearer of God and God expects so much more from His children. Dignity. You are not just a glutton or a coveter or a slut or a drunkard. Paul says that's what you were, but in Jesus, you don't have to give into that anymore. You can be made new. And the power that raised Christ from the grave is placed within us when we trust in Christ. Question number eight. In what ways do you indulge yourself in your sin? Some people, when they sin, they plan it. Oh, I know so-and-so is going to be gone here. Or that's going to be there. No one's going to be here or that. And I'm going to go do it here like that. You know, some people save all their money. So they go to the club on the weekend. Or, you know, and, you, and you buy a new outfit that, that's going to hide what you want it to hide and show what you want it to show. I just want to hide everything, you know. And then you go out and you, and, you know, you go, you go clubbing. Sometimes it takes a lot of money to sin. I know some people who like save up all year long and then they go to Vegas because they're going to maximize their sin. They're going to sin big and they go, they go to Vegas. You know, you know, some of us, you know, we try to make plans about this stuff. But the question is, do you indulge rather than practice self-control? Question number nine. How has this sin made you dirty and defiled other parts of your life? The Old Testament concept of sin, it's this idea of defilement, of impurity, where you just feel dirty all the time. Some people feel so guilty, they take on the feeling of their defilement on the outside of themselves. Uh, if a young woman many times is sinned against or sins willingly sexually, many times they feel dirty and they begin to act dirty. Same thing for young guys. Uh, they, they look at all this garbage all the time and they start to feel very unclean. The gospel, though, in 1 John 1, 9, says it cleanses us from sin. It purifies us from unrighteousness. This is why it's called good news, because it takes away our sin and our filth. Some men have fallen into sexual sin, pornography, or worse, and they come home and they don't touch their wives because they feel dirty. And eventually their sin feels more comfortable than the rightness of a real flesh and blood woman. And ultimately, sin leads to death. Question 10, how is this sin clamoring for our lives? In verse 18, Paul says, calls this a continual lust for more. Sin will feast on you until it kills you like cancer. Lust for more. You cannot manage your sin. It will always clamor for more. You cannot sin a little. Sin, you can start small, but over time, it will either kill you or you will kill the sin. That's the only two options. You drink too much, you die. You eat too much, you die. You gossip all the time. You're going to be discouraged. No one's going to want to hang out with you. You're going to be all alone. Sin seeks to isolate us from God and other people and bring about our deaths. Sin is always going somewhere. Death. Don't be fooled. And you're like, okay, I got an hour less sleep today. 
Uh, you feel like you're punching me a lot. I got some good news, though. I really do. Because how do you get out? That is where Paul goes. He goes, ask yourself these tough questions about the things that we struggle with, and then there is a way to get... Paul makes a transition here in verse 20. He starts talking about Jesus. Because we are the problem. We are not the answer. So many people I talk to think, oh, if we just did it the right way, or we just, then we could be this. We are not the solution. We constantly mess this thing up. And if you don't understand the answer being Jesus, you will gravitate towards moralism, you know, thinking you, the goal of your life is just to be good, or legalism, you live disciplined structures to be good. Morality and legalism are a form of godliness, but it denies God. You can be moral and go to hell. The guys who killed Jesus in the Bible, were they moral people? Yes, the most moral people in the entire Bible, the most legalistic people in the entire Bible. The goal is to have intimacy with Jesus. And you can waste your entire life if you don't know that the goal is Jesus. Draw near to Him. You ask one question when you have an ethical or moral problem. And that question is this. Will this draw me closer to Jesus or will it push me farther away from Him? Moralism is all about you. Self-help, self-love, self-esteem. I worship me. I'm my own God. I make my laws. I discipline myself. I judge myself based upon how I live my laws. That's legalism and moralism. But let me ask you a question. If you draw close to Jesus, will you find yourself growing further away from sin? Of course. Of course you will. Why? Because your goal becomes God. When we worship Jesus, the further we will get from our sin. If our goal is simply about getting away from sin, we will miss the point and we will exchange one sin for another. If you get rid of drunkenness, you will tell everyone how you did it by working really hard and going to a group and wearing a patch and then you get very prideful and pride is what Satan got kicked out of heaven for. So you went from being a drunk to being like Satan. Good for you. And you aren't making spiritual progress by making moral progress. You actually sometimes make spiritual regress because you are, you're trying to live your life apart from God. The goal is to get close to Jesus. Then your sin begins to go away. You know, you, you don't stop pursuing your sin. You start pursuing Jesus. So verse 20, Paul says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Question number one, do you know Christ? Number one question. You should ask right there, do you know Jesus? Apart from Jesus, there is no victory over sin. There is no victory over the grave. Jesus conquered our sin and death on the cross and his resurrection. This is not religion. Religion is knowing about God, but it doesn't really know God. If you meet Jesus, you will change. You can't meet Christ and stay the same. Do you hate your sin? Is there forward progress in your life? If not, you may have never met God. You may have learned about Him, but you've never connected with Him. When you meet Jesus, things begin to change. Verse 21, Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Question number two, Are you learning about Jesus? You will never plumb the depths of who Christ is. The point of your Bible is Jesus. If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 39. And in this, moral people think the Bible is all about themselves. It's all about me. How, how my instructions to be a better person. How I'm going to read the Bible. At this point in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking to the experts in the law. And this is, this is what he says. John 5, fourth book in the New Testament, verse 39. He says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
The Bible is not meant to be bent towards you. It's not Bible you, Bible you, Bible you. It's Bible Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. And if you don't learn about Jesus, you will begin to try and bend everything to yourself. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he says, you have lost your first love. And that is the thing. We should be in small groups and in Bible studies and reading the scriptures, but we must always remember that Jesus is our first love. Verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So question three, are you putting off and putting on? We must be people who are always taking off and putting on all the dumb ways we think and the dumb things that we do and the dumb ways that we are and habits and patterns. Get rid of them. I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify this for you, but you know how you stop drinking too much? You stop drinking too much. Wow, it's revolutionary, I know. You know how you stop lying? You stop lying. You know how you stop eating too much? You stop eating too much. I will tell you this. This is, this is one of the worst things because two weeks, three, four, I don't know how long. I found out I had high cholesterol. And, and I was really irritable because I had to change the entire way I ate. And, and I, I eat completely different now. And sometimes a little crabby because of it. But, but I changed. And you know whose decision it was to, to eat better? Mine. I had to quit eating garbage. My wife, two nights ago, she goes, I am totally impressed you have not given up yet. <laughs> because... Usually, I, I, I just would, uh, you know. Uh, we must be honest about our life and our sin, you know, what we're doing, what we're thinking, and stop it. If your credit card's full, cut it up. Don't, like, pay it off enough and you get five extra bucks on it and be like, five bucks, McDonald's, you know. It, that's not what we should do. If you're like, you know, every time I'm alone with my girlfriend at two in the morning watching a romantic movie, somebody's clothes come off. Well, you know what? Do something in the daytime with people. You, know, like, you don't understand, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. you got clothes on right now. See, you can do it. <laughs> I have faith in you. Put off, put on, put off, put on. You figure out how. People say, well, I want to read my Bible. Okay, great, great. Let's work with this. Uh, first question, do you know how to read? Okay, and that's not meant to be funny, but I'm still, if you don't know how to read, talk with us. We'll get you plugged into somebody who can tutor you how to read. Because we would, you need to be able to read. Okay, so if you can read, good. Check. That's that's the first one. Second thing is, well, then are you too busy to read your Bible? And if you are, then what are you doing? Stupid stuff that's taking up all your time. You playing too much on the internet, watching too much TV, watching too many movies. You take it off and you put on reading scripture. It is not wrong to watch movies or TV or go on the internet, but some of it's a stupid waste of time, is it not? You play Steam for five hours now that they got it for the Mac. It's like, oh, I'm going to play video games all day long. Take it off. And I say this because it's true for me because I can get so busy doing meaningless stuff. And when I say read scripture, I know I'm not saying open the book of Leviticus every day and read like five chapters. What I'm saying is you, you open a book of scripture, you decide you're going to read through it and take a small section and you read that and then get another book and read a book along with it by, by a good Christian author of some sort. I just gave our board a book. It's called uh, 10 Books That Screwed Up the World and Five That Didn't Help. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a great book. Uh, it goes through all the books of antiquity that they all long to teach you in college these days. Uh, read some C.S. Lewis. Mark Driscoll has a, a set of small books that are called Books You'll Actually Read. And there's one about the Old Testament, New Testament, Atonement, Church Leadership. They're great. Pick some of those up. Uh, he has another book called Death by Love. 
And it is all about Christ dying for us and the way that his atonement covers us. Do something like that. And I will tell you this. What you put off and put on throughout your life is going to be different. Whether you're single in college or married. If you're single, you don't have to spend as much time as a married person does building intimacy. So there are certain things that you don't have to take off and put on as like a married person does. Your priorities change as you go throughout life. But I will tell you, we are a people who spend too much time complaining about our life rather than simply addressing our life. God has prepared good works for us. God has gifted us to do these good works. So the only one that holds us back from good works is us. Us. Not taking off and putting on what we're supposed to. Uh, on a very personal level, uh, part of my taking off and, and putting on is sometimes taking time with my wife, uh, cuddling up with her. and Because sometimes I get so busy that I don't take time for her. Friday night, uh, she finished some of her homework, and she wasn't working at the hospital on Friday night. So we were sitting there, and we watched this movie called The Time Traveler's Wife. Anybody seen it? Yes? Okay. If you're a dude, I'm going to tell you, watch this movie with the girl. Okay, because after the movie was over, I'm sitting there with my wife, and I go, "For you, I would have learned how to sing." And yes, yeah, see, and just remember that line right there, guys, and just say it, and she'll be like, oh. "You'll be like, ta-da." Okay, so, no, but so I watched the movie, and I and my wife's all, "I love you," and I'm like, "Say the nice things," you know. It, every time I actually take time and cut up with my wife, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's amazing. <laughs> And honestly, I don't want anybody else doing it. I, don't, I want to be that guy. Now, sometimes it's study, sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's serving, sometimes it's loving. And it's finding out to live this full life that, in Christ that God calls us to. Um, if, if you have too many things or the wrong things on, take them off. Take them off. Repentance is not adding to, putting more things on your life. It is taking off what doesn't need to be there and putting on the things that do. And what are those things? I don't know. I don't know. You spend time with God and you find those out. But personally, I think there are a few that we could do. I think if we took off gossip about those who drive us nuts and put on prayer for them, I think if we took off freaking out and put on scripture reading, I think if we took off isolation and put on fellowship and bringing other people into our lives, I think we'd begin to do some of those good works that God calls us to do. I really do. Verse 25, he says this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. So he says, take off lies, you put on truth. Why? Because we're all a bunch of liars. <laughs> you know, no, I'm not. Well, there you go. You just lied. Okay? You know, we're all liars. People say, how are you doing? We say, great. When the true answer to how you're doing is, it's, it, my life's a mess, you know, and it's my fault because I'm the only constant and I can't get rid of me, so I have a dilemma. What screws up my life is my life, <laughs> you know? So we lie to make ourselves feel better. But Paul says, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We are one in Christ. We do this together. I have a, I have a friend who's involved with the band. And they go and they play a lot of places. And he said, every time they get done playing music, they, they say, if you guys need prayer for anything, come to us and, and let us pray with you. And, and he says, you will not, you'll be surprised how many people come up to us and they say, well, I want you guys to pray for me for this because I can never tell people in my church body this. And I'm thinking, that's really sad. Because they're going to pray for them and, and he's going to leave and go somewhere else and no one's ever going to know them to help them walk through this. You, know, you need to have people in your life that you trust enough to tell these things to so they can help you walk through those things. I mean, you need friends that, that just don't tell you what you want to hear, but friends look at you and go, you suck. You know, you're terrible and you can't do that. But I love you anyway and I'm going to walk with you through this thing. 
the goal of friendship should help each other to grow closer to Christ. And some friendships need to be put off and some need to be put on, put off and put on. Jesus came to take away our sin, so we need Jesus. Jesus came to make us into the church, so we need fellow believers. And Jesus came so we can live out the life that God calls us to. This gospel that God has reconciled us to himself and each other. And Jesus will always tell you the truth, and we should tell the truth to each other. And as we go closer to Jesus and do our good works, we should become more loving to each other and more reflective of who our great God is. You take off sin. You take off sin, and you put on Christ. One of the most amazing things to me about communion, this is one of the reasons we bring into communion every week, is that in communion, we remember that Christ took off his glory, and he put on humanity. And he comes and he dies and he rises. And now, again, he puts on glory. You know, we are a people who are stuck in our sin. And we need to take that off and clothe ourselves with Christ so we can truly be the people he calls us to be. And so we take communion. And that's where we break that crack. It reminds us of his body that was broken for us. And we dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be redeemed and put off sin and put on Christ. Uh, the band's going to come up, and as they do, uh, I'm going to invite you guys to sing with us. Uh, pray where you're at. God, what do I need to take off, and what do I need to put on? You know, thank you, Jason. My back hurts. I couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and on the very back, and we give simply because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship. Uh, you guys get to worship through fellowship. Don't just run out the door. Eat all the food and goodies that are back there. Uh, get to know some other people. Maybe you'll make some friendships where somebody will come alongside you and help you walk through this life so that you don't have to do it alone. You can have somebody that you can actually share those deep things with that you're really afraid to share with anybody else. Everyone worship God through prayer. There'll be some uh, deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, uh, go pray with them. If you're not sure what to put off and put on or maybe the things that you have on, you don't know how to take off, pray with them. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. Uh, God is a great and a good God. And we are a people who need to put off and rise up and worship who he is. Uh, James is going to come and pray for us. And again, as he does, as we, as we play these songs, spend some time with God. Ask him, say, God, what do you take off and put on? How do I truly need to be your child in how I live this? Will you guys pray with me? Uh, God, I pray that that you would do that. That, that. that you would take us from where we are. You would take us from our sin, God, and you would lead us and you would guide us and you would place us into where you want us to be. That you would take us from sin and, and place us... Uh, in your fellowship and that you would make us into your child and that instead of always running from you God that we would run to you that we would long for your arms of love that that we wouldn't be so focused on, on the things that we did wrong God and, and so wrapped up with those to miss what you have for us God, I pray that you would you would scrape away the calluses from our hearts and the walls that we put up to try and keep you out. That we would take off our sin. And that you would clothe us in righteousness.
and that we would go and be your kid, your child who lives for you, who who live a life according to your will, and not so that we can get glory, but so that you are glorified, so that people come to know your love through the way we live, through the way we talk, through the way we interact with others. People would see your face and come to know your love. We thank you for giving that to us. In Jesus' name.